welcome to uh, In Deep again with me, Pastor Joe Habermel. Great to have you along with us. And uh, today I, I really have something that I really wanted to share because I actually was kind of wrestling with this all night in the night before I prepared this because I, I was in a couple of minds about what I should be talking about um, for this session of In Deep. And um, I really felt that God was all, uh, all night with me, just waking me up about this very important priority. We, now, we, in church, we've been talking about uh, these, this idea of squinting, the idea that we can sort of focus in through a human effort of trying to focus clearly. In a sense, we're squinting our vision so that we can see clearly because, in a way, squinting removes the distractions that, that keep us from seeing things as they really are, as they ought to be seen. And so we're talking about squinting as a way of focusing our life around the things that we're supposed to be doing. And we talked about the different ways that we can squint, advice in the Bible. Today I want to talk about a way that we squint called the priority of discipline. Now I want you to imagine the scenario that the life of Jesus has, from, has been planned out from before even the world began, planned out. But his, his mission on earth uh, was really brought to its greatest focus in the three years of ministry that he led. He he was born for this moment. Like you could, you he knows that we know that now. But even everybody around him is watching this culmination. But the very thing that he was specifically destined to do was he was destined to die for humanity. He was he was the whole entire plan was focused on the cross. Now. It's very vital then that his mission is fulfilled, that at the very final hurdle, at the very last thing, that he isn't deflected from his purpose, that he isn't set aside from it. And, and rather than be that's because of people or that's because of situations or that's because of temptations, the very last thing that he has to do is, is a battle with himself. And he does the battle, this battle to stay disciplined and focused on his goal in a very wise way. And this is the way that I really wanted to show you today. Now here's the moment where Jesus takes this last great possibility of failure and he turns it around so that he stays disciplined and focused on the call of God in his life, fulfilling his life's purpose. Here's how he does this. In Matthew chapter 26, he says, going on a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus is alive. He's real. He's just like us. And he's living out this purpose, this destiny, this vision. And when he gets to this moment, he goes to God for what he needs to stay disciplined in this final moment. You know, discipline is one of those, un, it's an uncool success, success technique. It's, it's not the thing that you're going to read about in the glitzy magazine. It's not the thing that people are going to talk about as being even the way that they got there. People want to talk about enthusiasm. They want to talk about vision. They want to talk about the grand ideas. They want to talk about giftedness. They want to talk about talents. But discipline, the discipline of doing the right thing and focusing the discipline in the right area is what ultimately brings us 
into not just kind of human success, but success from God's point of view. And so I want to show you that Jesus showed us that he needed to exercise discipline in three different areas. And those areas are, he needed to exercise discipline in his mind, he needed to exercise discipline in his body, and he needed to exercise discipline in his heart or his will. Now let's just go through these things really quickly. The first area of discipline is the discipline of the mind or the other part of the mind, which is the emotions. Every human brain has an emotion sense area and it also has a cognitive sensor sense where the mind is thinking about and planning about and organizing itself and interpreting information, but it also is responding in to things with both love and fear. It has a way of just kind of Uh, not just thinking about things intellectually, but thinking about things from an emotional perspective. Now, both of those things, those things need to be disciplined. You cannot just let your mind and your emotions run free. Now, what happens when Paul talks to the Corinthian people because their mind and their heart is following an emotional track, uh, even to them seeming logical, but they are ending up in a, in going to end up in a ditch. So Paul tells him that what he's doing by bringing this teaching is a way of disciplining them. So he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. He says, we walk in the flesh and we are not waging war according to the flesh. I'm not just going to physically make you do this. He says, this is a spiritual thing that's affecting your mind. So he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to demolish strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now this is what you need to know. Not every thought is from God. And the thoughts that are not from God need to be submitted to Jesus Christ. And you might think, well, that's just sort of a, okay, I need to find out what God is saying, and then I need to take my thoughts and I need to submit it to them. What Paul is saying is that's the essence of spiritual warfare. Because demonic forces that are entirely engaged in trying to destroy the will of God, both against him and against you, those things are working very hard and the way that they work is by distracting your mind and your emotions away. So Paul says, I'm coming to you with this teaching and it's a spiritual fight. I am using the weapons of warfare that I've been giving, which is the word of God, to fight a spiritual battle for you. But what do you need to do? Well, you need to take your thoughts captive and submit them to God's word. That will free you from the spiritual problem that's causing your mind to drift away. Now, in another place, in Romans chapter 8, he talks about this. He says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Now here again, Paul is talking about a battle. You can hear it in his language. He talks about how we are either with God or we're against God. Now how do you discern the difference? How do you make that happen? Well, he said, if you set your mind on the information that you're getting from your flesh, the things that the flesh is telling you, both in the sensory idea of what your ears and your nose and your eyes tell you, but also in the feelings and the emotions that you have if you set your mind on things of the flesh. 
then you are going to be not only just a failure, failing in that, but you're also acting in a way that's hostile to God because it cannot submit to God if you are set your mind on the flesh. So what do you do? Well, you set your mind on things of the Spirit. The things that the Spirit is telling you is where you need to direct your mind and your emotions to so that your, the Holy Spirit tells you what the truth is, but you must be disciplined. Now just think about this really easily. If you think of yourself according to the flesh, you think of yourself as a success or a failure. You're looking to your flesh for signs of goodness, holiness, approval, um, the signs that you might look to yourself to say, I'm a really great Christian. But you don't set your mind on the things of the flesh because the flesh will never tell you the right thing. You need to listen to what the Holy Spirit says. By disciplining yourself to submit to what the Holy Spirit says, you will receive life and peace. You will get the message of God that will add life to your entire living. So, well, what does Jesus teach us to do then? Well, it's very simple, and again and again, it's the same thing. Jesus' advice to the disciples is watch and pray. So I want to talk to you about how those two things work. First, you have to watch your thoughts and your feelings. Inside of you, you've got an internal dialogue, you've got thoughts, you do something, you tell yourself, what a dum-dum, I shouldn't have done that. Or you do something great and you think, wow, I'm awesome. Your mind and the thoughts of your mind should never go unedited. They should go, you should constantly challenge them, check them. Sometimes your mind is telling you the right thing and your emotions are correct. Then you need to um, listen to them. But if not, you need to watch them. And if you watch them, then what you do is the ones that are outside of God's commands, you rein in. Now, this is very different when talking about uh, disciplining the body. When you discipline your mind, you rein it in. And then you redirect your thoughts according to the will of God. Then you pray about your thoughts. Watch your thoughts and then pray about your thoughts. Ask God to help you with the way that you're thinking and feeling about situation. And that is how you will ultimately discipline your mind. Here, here's a, a passage from Philippians chapter 4 that shows these things. First, he talks about prayer. by In this way, he's talking about anxious thoughts that are kind of getting out of control. And he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So what does he say? He says, pray about your anxious thoughts. When you ask God to be the solution to your anxiety rather than things, you'll get a peace because God is the one that will ultimately take care of you. But then he also says to redirect your thoughts. So he says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. And what you learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So he says, not only do you need to pray about those thoughts, those anxious thoughts, but you also need to redirect your thoughts and redirect them to the good things that you have seen in any area that you can find a good thing. Let your thoughts fixate on that. That's essentially what meditation, according to the New Testament, is about. Meditation is to focus, to purposely discipline your thoughts onto the good and the lovely things that God has either done for you, done for you in Christ, or done in the person of Christ, and you can just appreciate him. 
But then ultimately, he says, too, if you're finding that you don't have enough to focus on, he says, look at the things that God has, you've seen in me. Look at me. Let me become, an, essentially, a guidepost, somebody that you can look to as an example so that you can see how I constantly focus my life on Christ and my thoughts on Christ. So what do you do when your mind is undisciplined? Well, you grab hold of your thoughts, and then you take those thoughts to God in prayer, and then you ask God for help to redirect your thoughts onto the right thing. Now, in addition to that, there is, we have to discipline the body. Now, the body is disciplined in a different way. You see how Jesus says to, uh, to Peter and the disciples, Matthew twenty six forty one. He says, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing. It's your flesh that's getting. Now, what has happened is that these gentlemen who were supposed to be supporting Jesus by praying with him through this incredible painful time, this, you know, this moment, you know, distracting time where he could completely lose where he's supposed to end up rather than remaining with him. They wanted to. They, they totally agreed with it. It's their body that didn't cooperate. Their body fell asleep. And when they're in that sleep time, they weren't supporting Jesus at all. So he says, I know, guys, you know, want to. Your flesh is weak. So what do we do with this weak flesh? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about this in his own life when he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So first he gives a very easy example. He's saying anybody who wants to achieve anything has to act in a disciplined way. Every single athlete that ever participated in any kind of sport had to force themselves to do training and preparation to prepare themselves for the contest or they're going to fail. And he says, isn't it ironic that these people put in such an effort to receive a wreath in those days, you know, a reward for their Olympics at the time, this perishable thing. I mean, everybody knows that it's just going to, the leaves on it are going to rot and go away. It's nothing. But we've got a bigger game at stake. There is a bigger plan of God for your life that we need to discipline ourselves for because it has an eternal reward. And so Paul says, I'm not going to be dumb about this. I'm not just going to pretend to practice. But what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to, instead of doing all of this which does nothing, I'm going to turn all of that attention, all of that effort into controlling my body. Rather than leave it to chance, I'm getting on top of my body ahead of time. So can I just remind you, your body is not your friend when it comes to the purposes of God. Your flesh and the desires of the flesh are not your friend. They're not to be entertained. They're not to be supported. They're not to be encouraged. The body is going to be our number one problem. And why? Because Jesus has no plans for this body. It's not redeemable. The mind can be renewed. But my body is essentially going to die. And until I'm given that new body, this one is something that I'm going to have to battle 
against my entire life. If I've got a great thought life, well, that helps me battle against my body. But my body is still going to give me signals. It's still going to give me desires. It's still going to give me wants and urges that need to be addressed. Now, the Bible is pretty severe about the way that we should treat our body. Not in a sense of starvation, but in a sense of training, in a sense of what do we listen to when it comes from our bodies? Well, Romans chapter 13, verse 14, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He says a very same thing, similar thing in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. When it comes to the mind, we redirect, we look for renewal. With the body, we simply deny. We simply say, you are not giving me good advice. I am not going to let my life be about satisfying your desires. Now that is great discipline. And it's something that we all need to learn to do more of. Second Timothy, he says, if anyone wants to, uh, anyone wants to cleanse himself from what is dishonorable and be a vessel for honorable use, he needs to set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for good work. He says, well, then you have to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. He says it's not accidental. It's purposeful. It's, it's a decision that we are going to stop letting something else dictate our direction in life, and we're just going to muzzle it. We're not going to let it talk to us. The mind is a good thing to transform and renew, but the body just simply needs to be told enough. We're not listening to you. So what do you do about that? Well, again, the solution is watch and pray. We watch our body. We keep guard against it. And we watch if its, if its appetites are putting pressure on us to turn away from what God desires for us. And what do we do then? We watch the body. Secondly, we rein it in. We don't gratify it. We don't allow it the opportunities. In fact, in a sense, we force it to do things that it doesn't want to do. Fasting, praying, doing things that are going to get us more of a control over the urges of our body. And then number three, we pray about our body's needs. God knows what your body truly needs. It doesn't listen to its cries of desire. It listens to its true needs so that it can be useful to you as you live the life that God's called you to. In fact, Jesus talks about praying for our body's needs here in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't be anxious saying, what can we eat? What are we going to drink? What we wear? All of those things are body needs. He says, the Gentile people, well, they seek after these things or they run after those things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. What does he mean by these things? The needs of your body. Your body has needs. It's got to have a shelter. It's got to have clothes. It's got to have, you know, it's opportunities to, to not be in pain. It's, it's going to have to have, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful, creative ideas of taste and the, the ideas that it, things that it gets to see and observe and love seeing. All of these things bring out beauty in us if they are given to us in the way that God wants us to have them. The, those needs can be satisfied by God when we put them before God. So watch and pray. Watch your body and then pray about the true needs of your body and ask God to, to keep your body healthy, well, and fulfilled 
but by his power and his help. Now, the third thing that Jesus had said to discipline was your heart and your will. A very important part of the prayer of Jesus is the idea that he had to submit his will to the Father. So in Matthew chapter 26, 39, he says, going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The essential part of this time in prayer is Jesus recognizing that his will is turning away from the, the desire that God has. Now, you and I, you could easily find illustrations of that in your own life. I mean, sometimes if you said, you know, Joe, what's your will for tonight? My will is just to sit down and watch TV. Or my will is to, uh, you know, make sure I get the things and the opportunities that I want. Or my will might be to, uh, you know, I've got a will to be proud of myself. I've got a will to uh, make people want to like me. I've got a will to have all these things. But that is not necessarily God's will. What is God's will for me? That's the priority. And Jesus is saying, our will, you know, his whole life has been lived in that perfect, you know, perfect place your will be done. And here in this last moment, it's beginning to drift apart. And he sees this and he looks at it and he goes, oh, no, no, no. Father, if we can do this and it's still okay, if my will can be done and it's still going to be accomplished, let's go there. But if it can't, you know what I want, God? I want you to pull my will back under yours because your will ultimately has to be accomplished. It's very similar when Paul talks about here in the book of Romans, chapter 12. When he's talking about discerning the will of God, he talks about this process of renewing the mind, placing the body on a sacrifice, ultimately so that we can walk in the will of God. Now listen how he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice. You notice how he just says, body, what's it good for? Sacrifice. We're not trying to... I'm not trying to make it into something other than it is because it's not going to be useful to God except as sacrificially like Christ on the cross, crucify the flesh, our bodies are given to God. He says, present your body as this holy and acceptable sacrifice to God and that is worship. Worship is living for God. It says, then do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now see how he talks about the mind. Mind doesn't need to be sacrificed. The mind needs to be renewed because your mind the intelligence the consciousness that god has given you is useful to him and it can be redeemed it it is redeemed because we are taught and graced by god that our sense of who we are and our sense of processing and all of that gift is it has has the opportunity to be renewed in the work of the spirit of god the body is sacrificed the mind is renewed and see what it says when you do those things you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, which clearly means the desires of your flesh and the thoughts of your mind and your emotions are clearly leading you astray in your heart, in the place where you decide what my will is. Now, can I just say this to you? Having a submitted will is an incredible place of victory where if you decide God, I, w- I desire to do your will. I want your will. It gives you incredible power over your mind and your body. In fact, the will, that primary place of motivation, is going to keep you out of a ton of problems. 
you keep your will submitted to the will of God, you will have a great success over both your body's passions and your mind's thoughts. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 78 says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Um, In many places in the book of Hebrews, we're directed to, to draw our attention to the person of Jesus Christ, how he is the fulfillment of everything that God requires. He is the great sacrifice. He is the prince, the, he is the Melchizedek, the great priest, and the, he is the house. He is the builder of the house. He is awesome and he's perfect. But, he, but Paul is writing to encourage Christians that are struggling. They are struggling and they are going off track from the plan that God has for their life. So what does he do? Well, he tells them that because God loves them, he's disciplining them. But what do we do? We have to endure in that discipline. And I think that this is God's call for us to participate in the discipline that he desires for us. God doesn't discipline us and give us disciplines so that we uh, struggle or we suffer. God's not a party pooper. He's not trying to steal anything away from anybody. In fact, he's, what he's trying to do is to treat us like his own children, making sure that we ultimately walk into the glorious future and the glorious plan, the glorious inheritance that he planned for us. How do we do that? Well, we need to participate with God. For discipline's sake, we need to endure. So I want you to ask yourself the question today, is my life being disciplined right now, both by God and by you yourself? Are you choosing things that are going to focus you on doing the right thing and maintaining that, watching what's happening and praying that God intervenes? Watching helps us to be aware of where we're being misled, but it's through prayer that we get an opportunity to become refocused and transformed by God as we allow him to take care of our anxious thoughts and our physical needs, as we give him the difficulties, God will give us new sets of priorities, renewal in ourselves, but we must hold on. If you don't hold on to the plan that God has for you and remain focused on it, you will waste your time and your life, and at the end you'll say, what did I just do? Jesus showed us the way. Under the greatest pressure he's ever endured, he showed us if we watch and pray and remain disciplined that we will ultimately walk into the plan and the purpose and the redemption and the resurrection that God plans for us. So God bless you. Thanks for joining me on Indeed today. I hope it's helped. God bless. 